Alright, um, welcome to Common Chat number 36. Um, I am your host, Glenda McGee. I'm a nine-year comedian in Phoenix, Arizona. But I'm originally from the Compton, California area. Um, today's date is Monday, June the 28th. Can't believe it's almost July. I still remember New Year's Day uh, 2021. We were still in a pandemic. It was it was weird. But um, you can find me on Facebook, Glendon McGee. Uh, I'm the younger guy. Uh, there's an older Glendon McGee. That's my dad. Uh, he looks kind of gangster, kind of like he's been through some shit. So if you want to be friends with my dad, you go ahead and click that. But uh, otherwise, if you want to find me, I'm the young guy that looks like he's been through a whole bunch of shit. I'm not necessarily that young, but I'm younger than my dad. Uh, so click that guy if you um, want to be friends with me. Um, <clears throat> you can find this podcast on Spotify. Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Radio Public, and Breaker, and also, and also on this fine streaming platform called Anchor. Um, I just want to say that I'm tremendously happy, tremendously grateful, and now that I have a million followers and listeners to this wonderful podcast, thank you for giving me 30 minutes of your time each week to listen to me ramble sometimes i have topics sometimes i just want to talk about how white people do scandalous shit uh sometimes i just want to wing it because i just get tired of trying to think of shit to talk about that's like spiritually in tune with, with me and, and, and probably like one listener that fucks with this uh podcast so i've been going off the cuff uh, the last couple weeks, but before I begin today, uh, I'm gonna have a moment of silence for ZZ the cat. ZZ is my comedy best friend's Ali Musa's cat, passed away this weekend. Uh, don't know what caused it, I think it was just the, the cat it was very old, and you know, natural causes, I guess we can uh, say. So we just have the moment of silence for Zizi the cat. All right, Zizi the cat will be missed. Uh, my funniest memory of Zizi was when uh, Ali posted a picture of the aftermath of ZZ punching him in the face which is a giant which was like a giant scratch mark I thought it was hilarious because I think cats are hilarious because they don't like anyone and uh, we still think that they are uh, perfect for house pets Um, I'm a dog person I never really uh got too close to cats because of that reason like cats 
they pretend like they want you to love them and then you stro- you uh, rub them like three times then they're ready to bite and scratch you right, then they just jump up on you and dig their fucking claws into your fucking leg if they want to lay down it's just crazy I, like I made some special relationships with certain cats but secretly deep down I hated that cat it was no like it was no 90, 92 Bloods and Crips truce going on with me and cats. I was being respectful to the cats because uh, I dug their owner. But personally, me and the cat have beef. Me and any cat have beef. Like, if you ever had me over your house and you got a bunch of cats and you notice me watching every cat... Just know that it's because me and cats don't get along. I don't, I'm not a cat person. Uh, I would respect the cat's space. But I know how mean and, and sneaky cats are. I think they secretly want to kill us all. And uh, they just, but they'd rather wait for us to die first so they can eat us. And this has been a. Uh, Brought to you by Perina Cat Child, uh, official sponsor of Comic Chat and people who love cats. Unlike this guy, I fucking hate those furry bastards. Um, yeah, I, I really didn't mean to get that emotional over cats, but ZZ died of natural causes, and it just makes me. Um, Realize that in a few months I'm gonna be 39 years old. Like I started doing stand-up when I was 29, and that was like old. That was old by comedy standards. I was supposed to have started maybe when I was like 15 or something like that, but I wasn't gonna drop out of school. I had a mom that would kill me, and it was like being like my mom was was cool because the only way I could have really like emancipated myself to where I could have started comedy at 15 is if I would have just let her whoop my ass one good time and then you know that was basically the contract if you want to emancipate yourself you want out of my house before you're 18 you gotta let me fuck you up so it was kind of like being uh locked into a the Detroit Lions contract and you're a really good player it's like there's no way you're getting out of here unless you're like injured as fuck <laughs> Cause they uh they basically uh, cut short Barry Sanders' career and Calvin Johnson's career because they did not want to play in Detroit anymore. And who could blame them? They were freaking losing, and Barry Sanders did everything he could do to help them win. But we all know how it went. Shout out to Barry Sanders, the greatest running back in football history and this time I can't say of all time because I've never seen every single running back play but of my short lifetime Barry Sanders is the greatest running back to uh, ever live took me a while to to concede that because I'm a Cowboys fan and I always was like yeah Emmitt Smith is the greatest running back in the NFL and I never really watched Barry Sanders the way I would watch Emmitt Smith until after both of them retired. And I kind of compared the two and I was just like, oh yeah, Emmitt, you're a, 
not as good as Barry. Barry just was on a uh, worse team. And if he had the offensive line that Emmitt Smith had in the 90s, I think they would have won like five Super Bowls in a row. Because their 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 lineman's average size was like 350 plus back in the 90s. And for 90s football, that was like huge. That's why Troy Aikman had a Hall of Fame career. Because he had big fat dudes pushing people back so they couldn't knock Troy Aikman's head off until the end of his career and he started getting concussions. That shit was pretty funny. Because you can kind of tell when a quarterback is finished. But sometimes they just they want to get carried off the field. Like Steve Young, I thought he he died when he uh, <laughs> when he got that concussion against the uh, Cardinals uh, the last year of his career. He went sleep uh, right there on, on the field, and the camera zoomed in to his his sleeping face. It, it was so hilarious. I thought he was dead though. I, like, now that I look back on it, I think it's pretty funny. But when I saw it happen, I thought he was dead. And it was, like, one of the saddest things that I ever saw. That and Jamal Lewis uh, fucking up his shit against the Cowboys right after they went to the Super Bowl. Because I like the Dirty Bird dance. It was, it was creative. And uh, I thought that he was just now starting to uh, peak as a running back and he blew his fucking knee out and that was like the worst shit I don't know how I even got on to this topic of football injuries Bo Jackson's injury was fucked up too uh, I could go all day with the with the fucked up football injuries <laughs> but nah just just saying I should have started comedy when I was like a teenager, but I just didn't have the circumstances in which to do so. But I'm having a lot of fun, even though I'm almost 39 years old. And I was like, when I was 29, I was basically trying to be Kevin Hart or Eddie Murphy or whatever motherfucker, Chris Rock, whatever motherfucker you could think of that had his own special and own DVDs and uh, was... uh, making a lot of money or whatever that was me when I first started out but I also wanted to be a very good writer I didn't want to be a, a hack I didn't want to be somebody who just had a consistent act that worked I wanted to be able to write my own jokes and then like be to be able to do like 30 minutes and and then eventually an hour but uh Starting out, it was weird because I had to do a bunch of one-liners because I had no idea on how to write a joke. I had no idea about joke structure or any of that. I was just, uh, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to tell these these jokes. I thought about, I thought that it was made up like everybody do. They, they all think that their favorite comedian just get up there and just be saying stuff and then the crowd just be laughing like a motherfucker, like, Nope, that shit is all writing, and I learned, like, I want to say two months in, I learned that once you find some jokes to work, you have to tell those motherfuckers over and over and over, because when I had my first five, I 
did that shit for like a whole year. Same exact set. Over and over and over. Everywhere I went. I hated those jokes. But by the end of that year, if somebody was like, Oh, you're a comedian? Tell me a joke. I could tell them a joke at the uh, drop of a hat. I could do five minutes for them at the drop of a hat. It probably would have been five minutes that I hated, but I learned the the importance of of building that five, taking the time. Because a lot of people say, man, you've been in this for for 10 years, man. You ain't ain't made it. It's really like, nah, I kind of evolved as a person around the 10 years I've been doing stand-up because when I started stand-up, I was a drunk-ass, miserable dude. And then the first, I want to say the first five to seven years, that's kind of how it was. I was just drunk all the time and I was miserable. I really didn't, like, care about myself. I really, uh, I just was really trying to use stand-up to escape my personal pain and shit because I didn't know how to process it without like crying like a bitch and I fucking hate crying so I just was like I gotta get up I'm going through some personal shit so I gotta I gotta get up here and I gotta uh, I gotta try to uh, make jokes to make everybody else happy because I feel like shit (laughs) and I was able to write some very good stuff during that time, but I was very, uh, I was very much an alcoholic, and I was kind of giving up on myself, so it was, uh, it was a very uh, dark time, even though when I got on stage, people were like, wow, that was funny, dude, I I was kind of hating myself on the inside, and, like, nothing was ever, uh, nothing was ever good enough for me, because, it wasn't like somebody wasn't giving me a contract or somebody wasn't talking about making me uh, a special or a DVD or whatever it is we shoot for when we first start out in comedy. Then I thought that I was like nothing when I was seven years in. I just thought I was a waste because, you know, I've never even sniffed like a huge stage before, like a known stage. And But I had all this time. But then I learned that it was just all about like having fun and, and, and enjoying getting up there. And then like looking at the people's faces when you're really having a good set and, and listening to that applause when you have to get off. It was like it was like me expressing myself was finally being appreciated. And, you know, it may not have been on a major scale and it still may not be on a major scale, but at least... You know, I'm expressing myself. I, uh, Ten years ago, I wasn't even that comfortable talking about any of the things that I talk about on stage you know, in person. So for, for me to be able to get up there in front of strangers and talk about crazy ass shit and still be going through whatever it is I'm going through. And, but I'm just, uh, I've made peace with it. So I'm in a better place with whatever trauma and and past pain that I suffered from when I first began it's just it's it's minimal and I don't let it I do I don't allow it to to uh 
hamper my way of life. So being a stand-up comedian has helped me, even though uh, it never really amounted or hasn't amounted to uh, millions of dollars and all types of fucking crazy gadgets and a big mansion and a bunch of movies where people could just chase me down the street and say, Oh, Glendon McGee, I love, I just love everything you do. You, you're so great because you have movies and you have specials. I've seen you on the television box. i see you on my phone. I, I can't believe it is you. I don't know why I just did that weird ass, like, European accent, but that's, uh, I guess that's what my perception of pain, of, Fame is pain. <laughs> fame, fame is pain to me. I feel like uh, people only like you when you're on top. As soon as you fall off, you become a meme or a joke. And that's why um, I kind of changed my perception on what or my purpose for doing stand-up is. It was it's no longer trying to get that special or trying to be the, the, the next great black comedian or whatever. I was on before. It's more about trying to get more in depth and trying to express more of who I am and who I was to an audience. I really want to start writing this drinking material, but I'm just being lazy about uh, just thinking about myself as an alcoholic. I know it's only been like three and a half years since uh, my last drink, but going back there, it's a lot of funny stuff, but there's also a lot of, like, sadness, and I don't, you know, I haven't, I just haven't allowed myself to uh, delve that far back, because I don't think I'm ready to touch that just yet, because I don't know how to make it funny. I can just state it, and then and, and if I state it, it, it just seemed like a guy with a fucking problem, which is all that I was, just a guy with a fucking problem who didn't really uh, know how to emotionally deal with, uh, I, I wouldn't say failure, it just, I didn't know how to emotionally deal with change. I guess that's what I can say it is because all it is was just a major change in my path and in, in my life. So, but I didn't really know that, you know, I create my own life and a lot of the things that happen to me or most of the things or all of the things that happen to me are my fault in some way. I didn't know anything about that. I was still under the uh, belief that other people are the cause of your problems and somebody can actually ruin shit for you it's not that you allowed it to happen or you wasn't paying attention or that you were just not in the present mind to see what was going on it was always somebody else so I don't really fault myself for for any of that that happened anymore it's just that I'm under a new understanding and it's it's easier to deal with. But stand-up has made that shit a hell of a lot easier to deal with because sometimes, even when I go out and I may not have a great set, if I see somebody have a funny set, it makes me feel good because 
it was funny and I got to laugh and you know I got to put whatever it is that I was thinking about or any intrusive thing that was coming into my mind I got to wipe it out while watching that other comedian kill or if I did kill I feel good because somebody out there could be going through some shit that was way worse than whatever was in my head so me uh, being funny to them allowed me to not think about my shit and them laughing at me allowed them not to think about their shit so I think that that's a fair exchange between you know comedian and, and, and crowd but I don't know if, if too many comedians look at that shit it's like fuck it man I'm trying to get exposure I'm trying to get out there I'm trying to make it I'm trying to get you know an agent I'm trying to get people around me and who's gonna just steal and make money from it and I'm just gonna be uh, basically the golden goose to a whole bunch of motherfuckers but on the outside it's gonna look like I got a lot of shit so everybody gonna wanna be me I think that's what it, the main goal for for most of us are is supposed to be. We're supposed to just want attention constantly. <laughs> but I just learned to accept this for what it is. It's just fun. It's just fun. You get up there, you talk your shit. They either like your shit or they don't. It's no longer... Oh man, I gotta be better than this comedian. Oh man, this dude is writing this type of stuff. I gotta start writing other type of stuff. It, it like that competition that I used to have, because competitive drive and whatever other bullshit that the media was pumping out that I adopted from a child and carried into an adult. <laughs> Just a fucking living Gatorade commercial. That's all that was inside my head. You gotta do your best. You gotta get up before everybody else. You gotta... And it was just really... When everybody else sleep, you're working and all that shit. It's like, bro, this is stand-up comedy. This is not fucking football. You are not weight training at fucking 1.30 to go tell jokes. <laughs> but that was just my mindset. It, I gotta make it, man, because my life, man, has been so fucked up to this point. I, if I get famous, then everybody who treated me fucked up will be like, ooh, man, you're a big star now. Got some money. Can, I, I'm, I'll be the coolest man in, in the family and on my block and whatever. It was a bunch of... It was a bunch of fearful, insecure shit that I was on when I first started doing comedy. But now I'm glad that I got all that shit out because... I'm able to enjoy what it is. And it's just fun. It's just having fun, talking your shit to a bunch of motherfuckers who may be having worse lives than yours or who may perceive themselves as having a better life than you. You'll never know. They'll never know what your life is like because, honestly, the both of you don't really give a fuck. (laughs) And that's just me... uh, being honest but yeah I'm gonna be 39 doing this shit in a few months and being 39 is is fucked up because you start to look at those commercials for shit like low testosterone and you can't laugh as hard as you once did because now it's becoming you and shit like seeing Frank Thomas and, (laughs) and shit selling uh, testosterone products is like damn 
that's you. That's you and you're in that age group now where you're, it's hard to stay in shape because your energy levels and your testosterone levels, you got an imbalance and shit and everything's all fucked up. Now you're a, a middle-aged man. Can't eat a whole pizza anymore because your stomach is going to be raging afterwards. You and milk are no longer friends. It's, it's really... Uh, <laughs> it's really fucked up. Like, after you turn 35, not only does it seem like life is going faster, but it just seems like more and more shit turn on you. Soon you can't eat as much sugar because that'll fucking kill you. Can't have soda like you used to. You gotta start eating more salads and more vegetables and you gotta work out. Uh, you have to have a, a, a minimum workout of like two hours a day because after a while you're gonna start stiffening up, getting all old and shit. Bones gonna start cracking, joints gonna lock up. Then you're gonna start having apparatuses to help you get around like a walker or a cane or a fucking wheelchair. And that's just another... That's just another fucked up thing about being 38. Because I'm disabled. I have cerebral palsy. So all I really have to look forward to is being more fucking handicapped. Like I'll never know the joys of running or jumping over a fence. Are dunking on a ten-foot rim. Like it's 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 a real sad story. When like when I was a kid, it really didn't matter because you know you're a kid. You're not really worried about. Oh man, I'm handicapped and I won't be able to do much stuff. You just think it's kind of a challenge, so you have to you know do as much stuff as other people say you can't do in your current condition. But now as I'm getting older, I'm just like. God fucking robbed me. (laughs) I wanted to be able to pick up a soccer ball, drop it, and extend my leg high enough to kick it away from me. But that'll never happen. Because he hates me. (laughs) Nah, it it just feels, um... It just feels kind of unfair when you, when you think about it, but nothing in this life is so-called fair. You always got to be happy and grateful for, like, everything. Even if it sucks to you, you have to, you have to be grateful for it because it could be a lot worse uh, for you. And there are a lot of people out there with a lot worse. Like, I watch those Shriners uh, Hospitals for Children commercials, and you see those kids that... They're like, I'm only seven and I've had like 200 surgeries. And it's like, damn. You've been under the knife 200 times in seven years. All of a sudden, my fucked up legs just feel like a blessing. Like I got lucky. So, it's, you know, you got to be grateful for for everything that you um, that you have. Because it could be a lot worse and you could have a lot less. So that's the whole, uh, I guess that's the whole reason why gratitude is the most important part of attracting and manifesting and all that uh, spiritual um, laws and things. I think that's why gratitude is like so important because if you don't have gratitude, you really don't have anything. 
Well, I was trying to avoid that, but it's the last two minutes of the podcast. So the Phoenix Suns are playing the Los Angeles Clippers in game uh, number six. No, five tonight. They could close out the series with a win and go to the NBA Finals for the first time since 1993 when Sir Charles was the leader of the team and Kevin Johnson and Dan Marley. I don't think they had Tom Chambers back then. I don't know. I may be wrong about that. They might have still had the the Chambers, but... Although it's a great accomplishment for the city, I'm not a Suns fan. I grew up hating the Suns, and that hate is still there because fuck the Suns. And I can't be too mad if they win. I can't be too mad if they win because it just keeps the the Clippers as the losers of L.A. that they've always been. It don't matter how cool the jerseys are. How many superstars you get to come, like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, too. And that produced no championships. So I can't really be mad if the Suns win. And and that's only one reason. But the second reason is because uh, maybe they'll finally shut the fuck up about how great of a player Steve Nash was. Yeah, he was a great offensive player, but dude was a liability on defense. Tony Parker averaged like 35 against him. Derek Fisher would go off against him. And Derek Fisher was a serviceable starter. He wasn't like a a Hall of Fame point guard. He was damn near backup status, and he would go off on fucking Steve Nash. But, But... when I got here, all people would talk about Nash, you're so great. He fucking didn't even get to the finals. He got to the conference finals. Yeah, they say the Spurs cheated, but they ripped Kobe off of, of an MVP for Steve Nash, too. So I don't care about your Spurs elbowing him into the boards and shit. Because they gave him two MVPs when he only deserved one because Kobe Bryant was having a wonderful season the next year and he dunked on Steve Nash in the first round of the playoffs but of course they uh, defeated the Lakers in a seven game series because the Lakers had no one it was like post Shaq era and uh, everybody was pretty much abusing the Lakers and the Lakers barely got in but still just the fact that they got in to play the Suns was should have been enough to give Kobe the MVP. But, of course, at the time, Steve Nash was the great white hope of the NBA, so they gave him two. And I hope his, uh, his hyena-looking ass is at the game tonight. <laughs> Looking like Ed from The Lion King with weird-ass eyes and shit. Hugging Kevin Durant with that fucking mad-ass gleam because... He's still mad at Jason Richardson for getting his slutty wife pregnant. You should be happy that uh, he did that. Because now you know you married a hoe. But anyway, this has been Comic Chat number 36. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for a 
listening. I am your host, Glendon McGee. You can find me on Instagram, GM3 Comedy, Facebook, Glendon McGee. Um, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Radio Public, and Breaker. Um, thank you all. I am uh, tremendously happy and grateful that you spent this half hour listening to me go in circles. I lost myself at certain times, but I just kept going, and we got through that half hour together, and I just want to thank you for uh, donating your time, and um, if any Steve Nash fans uh, happen to listen to this uh, podcast, I want to say that he was a great offensive player, but he couldn't play defense to save his life. It was like watching a dude on ice skates sliding all over the place, but... Thank you guys, man. Thank you. Um, Be good to each other. I love you guys, man. Please be safe out there. Um, The 4th of July is this weekend. Please be safe. Don't blow off any limbs. Don't play with high explosives. Only use fireworks where they're legal. I know I'm in Arizona, so nobody's going to listen to this part of the podcast, but... Until next time, spread peace, love, and harmony, and it shall come back to you tenfold. Thank you, and goodbye.